Welcome to Lydiard Law with Paul Cott. Tips and tricks for your legal issues. Not only do employees deserve to be treated fairly and with respect, it's also the law. Employees have a long list of rights and legal protections in the workplace. They include how they're paid, how they're hired, leave entitlements, safety, termination, redundancy and so on. To explain the rights employees have is lawyer Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. Paul, let's start with the amount of hours an employee can work a week. Is there an upper limit? Uh, yeah, there is. So basically we work a 38-hour week now as opposed to in the past used to be 40. But an employer can ask and the employee has to agree to work reasonable additional overtime hours. Obviously with the word reasonable, there's a bit of flexibility in that. Depends on what type of job it is, whether they're working from home, what the employee's other responsibilities and commitments are, but generally, yeah, you can't be were asked to work beyond reasonable additional hours. Does an employee have a right upon request to work to, to flexible working arrangements, such as what time they start, where the work's done and where, as well as when they finish work? They don't have a right to actually demand flexible working hours. They can put a request in and it's by agreement, so it has to suit both parties. The employer can refuse, again, there's that lovely word, reasonable. An employer can refuse on reasonable business grounds. So it's a, balance. it's a matter of weighing up the balance and balancing the interests of the employer and the employee. What's the minimum amount that an employee is paid calculated? Um, it comes in through a number of ways, but there's generally a minimum wage set through awards or what's called now modern awards. The contract may well specify the, the actual rate, which should always be at least at or above the minimum rate. The awards set the minimum rates for probably 90%, I think, of employees in Australia. So there'll be a minimum below which they can't pay. Sometimes an enterprise agreement will also set specify a minimum rate, which can be even higher than the minimum in, the, in an award. And usually... I think the Fair Work Commission has a role too. Every now and then they'll set down or sort of make a what, what's called a decision, um, which is published across Australia, where a minimum rate um, is set across all industries. So it comes from multiple sources. So if an employer has an inquiry about it, though, obviously ask their employer. An award is a very good way because they'll also set out a table. So it might be that you know you might be say a cleaner or whatever, for example. You go into the award, which might be the Miscellaneous Workers Award, and you'll see that there are various levels of cleaner. So if you're a supervisor, um, you might be on a level two, which is above a level one, and they'll have a different minimum rate. Mm. Does an employee have the right to parental leave? And if so, is it paid or unpaid? Um, there is a parental leave scheme, scheme in Australia where the Commonwealth Government pays an amount to the employer so that the... Um, employee can take parental leave. That is um, usually the male because um, otherwise it would be maternity leave. Also, that can be done um, on a paid basis if they wish or on an unpaid basis between the employer and the employee. What's the Fair Work Information Statement and do all employees have the right to be given it at the start of the employment? They should always be given it. Um, casuals have, a, have have their own information statement. It's a two-page document which sets out really quite brief 
information about pay rates and where they can be obtained, information about notice of redundancy, information about notice period for termination of employment, and all various things such as leave. It's a two-page statement that every employee must be given when they start work. And believe it or not, and I don't know whether I've ever heard anybody being um, in trouble for it, but it's actually an offence not to be given one. So all employers have to give one to their employees. So it gives, sets out basic rights, sets out, um, I think the last second page of it is a table with all what's called the National Employment Standards, which are all the minimum conditions of employment. What are some of the legal protections employees have at work? Probably the primary one is that the right to have a healthy and safe work environment and also the right to be sick, the right to discuss and negotiate and consult with their employer about the healthy and safe work environment, the right not to be discriminated against, and also, of course, if there's a contract, the right for um, the employer to abide by or comply with all the terms and conditions in the contract, um, the right not to be victimised, bullied, harassed. So there's you know a very large set of rights there for employees. Of course, sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect between having that legal right and being able to enforce it. Was a lesson I was told many years ago that sometimes if you work a short period of employment, and the employer doesn't pay. Well, what are you going to do about it? You know, take the employer to court when it's only worth you know three thousand dollars, but So that's just one example where you have a legal right to be paid where there might be a little bit of trouble in enforcing it. There's often a difference between having that legal right and then practically in terms of money and time and effort of being able to enforce it. But there is a a very large range of rights an employee has at work. Does an employee have the legal right to a written employment contract? I wish they did, but they don't. Um, You'd be surprised how many times an employee does not have a written employment contract, has never had one. Happens all the time. I even found out today that in one case there was a two-page contract which was barely worth the paper it was written on. Probably was drafted by a secretary or something like that. So there's no legal right to an employment contract. When I say that I wish there was, because it really creates certainty, not just for the employee, but also for the employer, there's a reference point, something for you, for both parties to look back on if ever an, an issue arises or something to be looked up every now and then if you're thinking, well, what is my right to redundancy pay? What What is that? Or what is my right for the employer to pay or not to pay for a computer or a laptop if, for example, I'm working from home? All those types of things. So although there's no legal right to one, I wish there was, but there isn't. Um, and as I say, there isn't actually a legal, even a legal requirement to have an employment contract. Mm. When it comes to long service leave, Paul, does an employee have the right to long service leave after a lengthy period of service for an yeah. employer? So in Victoria, and this does vary around Australia because each state has passed their own long service leave act. So um, in a federation, you know, we have seven states and they can pass laws as they see fit, but certainly in Victoria, once you accrue seven years of continuous service, there is allowance for short breaks in continuity. Once you accrue seven years, then normally you'll start to accrue long service leave, which is a right to either to take the leave or that if they do leave the employment, then you can be paid out or, or, you know, as I said, take the leave itself. What about carer's leave? Is that an employee right? 
Yes, it is. And that's another national employment standard, which again, as I say, it's about 20 things that the Commonwealth Government has passed that all awards, contracts and enterprise agreements must be set by reference to. So it's a minimum condition. Carers leave is two times per occasion each year an, an employee has. And that is to do with a family emergency, family sickness, or sometimes even personal sickness. So, you know, looking after an immediate member of the family um, with sicknesses and sometimes even, you know, to do with yourself, um, health conditions that perhaps don't um, require sick leave as such, which is personal leave, but you need some time off. So two days each occasion. As to safety at work, what are an employee's rights there? Uh, so what we talked before is that's an extremely important right and it overrides anything else. But an employee has a right to consult and negotiate and to raise issues about safety. For example, if an employee, and we see this a fair bit in our practice where an employee says, oh, the way that that employer or that employee is handling that equipment is unsafe and nothing gets done about it and then the employee might raise it again and then nothing gets done, and then if perhaps they raise it again, then the employer presumably gets a little bit angry with them and is a bit um, annoyed by the, con- the issue constantly being raised for a number of reasons. And then the employer then either demotes them or reduces their pay, or what we see most commonly is that they terminate their employment saying that there was misconduct or some other reason or a redundancy, whereas really what is behind it is what's called technically an exercise of workplace rights to make a complaint or inquiry in relation to your employment. And health and safety is, without a doubt, protected under the Fair Work Act, is something that you can raise with your employer and it's unlawful then not to do it. And if they do discriminate or take sort of adverse action against an employee for raising those rights about health and safety, then it's a potential general protections claim under the Fair Work Act. When an employer pays an employee, do they have to give a pay slip? Yes, they do. There's been a recent case of mine where arguably a, a worker was an employee, but there were some things that suggested that he may have been a contractor, which is contradistinction to that. For example, he was not ever given pay slips for three and a half years, but he was given he was made to provide invoices to the employer, um, and which that suggests that he was a contractor. It's not going to go any further, but the issue will be that that's possibly unlawful. And it is an offence under the Fair Work Act that if you have an employee, not to be given a pay slip. And they're supposed to get it within one or two days of being paid. Um, they can receive it in, in, in hand, in paper, or in email. Is an employee entitled to notice of termination of employment? Yes, they are. And that's another national employment standard. There's a sliding scale which the length, the longer your service is, the more notice you have to be given. So usually the amount of notice that an employer gives to terminate and the amount of notice an employee gives to resign is the same um, and it goes up on length of service. Um, so usually four years is pretty much the standard and with an extra week on top if the employee is 45 or above. Well, there's quite a lot to go through, but one last one, Paul. What's the situation with redundancy pay when an employee's role is redundant? So if their role is made redundant, and that's a a good distinction 
that you made there, to, you don't say that technically this is getting very technical, but you don't say an employee is redundant. You say that their role is. So which means that the job is no longer um, there. It ceases to exist because of a restructuring the business. So redundancy pay, again, there's a sliding scale. There's a table on the Fair Work Ombudsman website that basically I think less than one year there's no, no redundancy pay. One year to two years is one week and two years to three years is two weeks, and so forth, up to about 12 weeks, and then it caps um, how many weeks. So I think the maximum is about 14 weeks redundancy pay. Employers can apply to the Fair Work Commission for an exemption in some circumstances, such as financial reasons, um, and small business employers don't have to pay redundancy pay either, so 15 or less employees. That's Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. You've been listening to Lydiard Law. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever app you access your favourite podcasts. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, why not leave a review? It always helps others to find and enjoy the podcast too. For more information about Lydiard Law or any legal issues you'd like to discuss with Paul, go to lawonlydiard.com.au. Paul Cott and I look forward to your company next episode. Until then, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening.